are listening to True Crime Fiction, feeding your addiction to the best of the written and the spoken word in crime. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as £1 at patreon.com slash truecrimefiction. The pages of history are not often graced with the names of young women. It tends to be the kings, the knights, and the priests who still live in the collective consciousness, even thousands of years after they have died. We often know they are married, but sometimes we don't even know the names of their wives or their mothers. History has privileged the male experience, and those who are part of the elite for either fighting or spiritual and intellectual prowess. We don't know many teenage girls' names or anything as complex as what their inner lives may have been like. Apart from one, Joan of Arc. Her first name probably wasn't Joan, and her second name probably wasn't Arc. But other than that, we have an extraordinary record of her life thanks to transcripts of her trial and retrial for witchcraft during the Hundred Years' War. What Joan achieved, becoming a major player in an international conflict in the rigidly patriarchal Middle Ages, is quite extraordinary, even without the miracles for which there is evidence of manufacture. Even after her death, her brothers tried to keep the story of Joan going by finding a lookalike and presenting her to France as Joan miraculously resurrected to carry on her rescue of France from the hands of the English. Joan is now Saint Joan and has become a central part of the story of France. Her images are immortalised in paintings and statues, her words in stage plays and films. She is even credited with inspiring The Bob, one of the most enduringly popular haircuts for women in the last 100 years. As a woman who is officially executed for wearing men's clothing, this is a deliciously ironic turn in her story. Very few young women can rise to a position of such acclaim. It is possible to say that the nearest equivalent we have in the modern day is Greta Thunberg, She certainly appears to inspire the anger and irritation in others that Joan also did, and while climate deniers may stop short of burning her at the stake, the ire and bile she attracts from people online certainly seems to be a modern-day equivalent. However, I would suggest that there is another type of person in the modern day who is elevated to a secular sainthood, And this is one which there has already been several high-profile young women scamming others into believing that they are, that is, a cancer patient. Cancer is a diagnosis that nobody wants, even though treatments and research is advancing all the time. It is one of the few illnesses where the cure can be felt to be as bad as the disease. It strikes fear into people's hearts and it can change people irrevocably, which is why when someone is diagnosed with cancer, they are treated differently. 
I know myself, having had a partner go through treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma, that sometimes a cancer diagnosis brings out the worst in the people around you, sometimes the best, and that it is unpredictable how people will react and how it may change them. So enter the modern day saint, the young white woman with cancer, most famously typified by Belle Gibson, who became a celebrity wellness guru who claimed to have had several different types of cancer, including a malignant brain tumour, and to have managed her conditions with exercise, diet, and holistic therapies. She raised money for charity while also getting cosmetic procedures and going on lavish holidays, wearing designer clothes. Gibson was fated by others, showered with awards and given large donations, upheld by the media as a shining example of health and wellness, mind over matter. It is a seductive story. The idea that the thing that is incredibly frightening to many of us, that we pray no one we love ever gets, is actually defeatable. And not just defeatable, but within all our individual powers to beat. Science will insist on being accurate and letting us know the reality of a situation. Whereas Gibson was able to sell us the idea that if we choose the right foods, exercise the right amount, meditate, massage and buy into each new wellness trick, we are still in control. It is true that adopting certain lifestyle behaviours can indeed make us less likely to get cancer. However, the idea that our own choices alone once diagnosed will be aggressive and difficult to treat cancers is false. It's a thought process that dances close to the idea that we are all individually responsible for our outcomes and ignoring the structural inequalities which many people have to battle on a daily basis. Belle Gibson made herself a saint, sold a fairy tale, a set of miracles and dangerous ones at that. Gibson's secular canonization crashed down around her when she was exposed as a fraud never having had cancer, and having also lied about many other aspects of her life. Enter to the story the most recent cancer fraudster, Coco Berthman. Her trajectory is traced in Believable, the Coco Berthman story from Dear Media and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Sarah Ganim. Berthman did not start with cancer fraud, but with something that is equally as serious, sex trafficking. She claimed that her own mother had trafficked her, that she had become pregnant and was forced to have an abortion, after which she saw her baby killed in front of her, also saw her mother kill other children, and the first therapist she found having escaped also abused her sexually. It sounds horrific and it also sounds implausible when written down like that, rather than told by the tiny, doe-eyed Coco who interjects it with her girlishly excited obsession with Celine Dion. Where the story becomes more difficult is when you realise that sometimes, yes, people do go through a series of horrible things. If we see the tales of any woman who have been held captive, Michelle Knight, who was held captive for 10 years, Elizabeth Smart, who was kidnapped at knife point and held until police rescued her, or Elizabeth Fritzel, whose own father kept her in his basement as a sex slave. 
then maybe Coco's story is not so preposterous. It's well known that once someone has become a victim of sexual assault, they are more likely to be on the receiving end of other sexual assaults. In 2017, a shocking case in the UK reported a young woman travelling back home after a music festival was sexually assaulted on the train. When she approached another passenger for help, this passenger then proceeded to also sexually assault her. So could Coco be telling the truth? I imagine that while living in Utah, it was difficult for people who met Coco to verify her story, as most of it took place in the country of her birth and citizenship, Germany. However, dear media leaves no stone unturned and flies out to Germany, employs a translator and tries to dig deeper into Coco's story. It does appear that Coco may well have been sexually assaulted as a child in Germany and that her relationship with her mother was indeed tense and difficult. However, the extremes of murder and forced abortions do not appear to have much to back them up. This is where Coco's story becomes difficult. Of course, anyone who has been sexually assaulted, particularly those it happens to when so young, deserve empathy, compassion and support. But every time Coco embellished her story, made it more grandiose, she also harmed other survivors by making it harder for people to believe them. And belief is extremely important in helping survivors to heal. Several people on the podcast say they think that Coco would not have been so successful and people would have questioned her story more and verified facts if she'd not been a petite blonde white woman. There is probably something to that as we've seen this before. Elizabeth Holmes, who was recently jailed for fraud, managed to scam billions out of others with her fake breakthrough in diagnosing a range of illnesses from one drop of blood. There was no technology that could do this, yet Elizabeth managed to get savvy business people, experienced politicians and many, many others to give her money for her revolutionary snake oil. People who should have known better. When True Crime Fiction reviewed different podcasts on Elizabeth Holmes, her looks, her blondness, her youth were all suggested as reasons why people who we expect to ask more questions and look for more proof than just taking her, her word for it. Just like Coco, she took people's trust and faith with some people receiving potentially life-changing and threatening diagnoses from machines that did not work and a process that did not exist. If we go further back in history, it's likely that both Berthman and Holmes would be said to have bewitched these men, used some magic, some unholy power to gain control over them, probably in a pact with the devil. And strangely, it does seem like that. However, the truth is more that Berthman targeted people who were predisposed to forgiveness, who held central values about helping others and also a large amount of women who she appeared to try and slot into a motherly role in her life. In contemporary society, we do not talk about bewitching, but it does feel like Berthman and Holmes were able to cast some sort of glamour on those who came across them, until you consider the media involvement. Both women were fated by the media, held up as shining examples of womanhood, just as Belle Gibson, who was sometimes also blonde, was. 
And now it looks like they are less magical beings and more people who, by genetic lottery, were able to leverage the unconscious bias of the age and the media, where investigative reporting has shrunk incredibly over the last few decades and were too exhausted, enamoured, or any other number of things to do a fundamental part of their job, fact-checking. Coco's manipulation of others only became a crime when she sensed her story was crumbling and so shored it up with the ultimate claim of sainthood, cancer. She claimed that she was at stage four, the final and last stage, one where miracles can and do happen, but also one where journeys end for many. And of course, Coco used this to ask for money. As soon as people gave her money to treat a cancer that she did not have, she was able to be charged with fraud. However, Ganem discovers that the prosecutors are apathetic and Coco gets off what feels like incredibly lightly to all the people she has hurt and is currently under supervision, living in Salt Lake City today, working for, you guessed it, a charity. From the investigation that Ganem undertakes, she tries valiantly to be as fair as possible to Coco. It appears as though Berthman is addicted to attention and that there may be some kind of personality disorder in play. She has pulled the wool over the eyes of people who have given her a home, welcomed her into their families, have helped her build a charity, have made the effort to help her feel safe so she can heal. None of that, though, was a crime. The survivor, third sector and religious communities which she made herself part of feel deep betrayal and anger over her manipulation and lies. It is so easy to see why there may be a reason to hate and pile on her, especially given the seriousness of the crimes she reported and the damage she has done to the survivor communities. However, others point out that false reporting of sex trafficking and sexual assault is very, very small, and that not believing victims is something that can compound the damage done to them. One interviewee tells us that so great is the harm through disbelief that she'd rather believe everyone and be a bit embarrassed by getting it wrong later than not believe anyone and further damage people who need help. Ganem spends a considerable amount of the time trying to balance the story of Coco's lies and manipulation with the imperative to believe victims. It's not an easy balancing act when Coco's actions have done so much to damage people. Some people have given up counselling work, others have stopped doing advocacy after tangling with Coco. It does not matter what sort of help, support or charity that we come across. There are always grifters who want to take advantage of others' kind hearts. It is an unfortunate fact of life. Perhaps the real act of sainthood and the real miracle is what Ganem has achieved. To not hold hate in her heart against Coco, but to see her for who she truly is, both victim and villain. A confused young woman who is in desperate need of mental health support and someone who also needs to make amends and face the damage she has done. 
You have been listening to True Crime Fiction, the podcast that is feeding your addiction to all things crime. You can find our website at true-crime-fiction.com, on Twitter at true underscore crime underscore fic, on Facebook and Instagram as True Crime Fiction. Please rate and review on the podcast app of your choice. Music is by Kitty Kitty Meow Meow.